This is the Mindfulness and Productivity Systems Podcast with Dr. Serene Sharif. This is a space where we explore how mindfulness, productivity systems, and our thoughts create the magic in our life. I'm here to help and support you if you are struggling with overwhelm and burnout, and you're looking for tools to take control of your time, mind, energy, and productivity. I'm your host, Dr. Serene Sharif, and I am a general surgeon, medical educator, mom to three wonderful children, and wife, which were all instrumental in my journey to be a productivity and burnout coach. I'm excited to share my tools and unique framework to build a community so no one has to go through this alone, empowering each other to find our way out of burnout and overwhelm. We will explore how my mindfulness and productivity systems framework can help you combine the energy of mindfulness with the scientific principles of habit building and your unique systems of productivity. My framework is designed to help you find clarity, design your dream life, and create your transformation. We'll discuss how to overcome limiting beliefs and obstacles that are standing in the way of your dream life, as well as how to create and sustain your new habits in a way that will allow you to finally ditch your willpower and motivation struggles and have more time and energy to live your best life. This is episode number 18. Last week, we discussed what it means to be connected and owning our voice, to know our value and our worth, to know what we bring is more than enough and we don't have to change or be anything different to belong at the table. Hey, if the table doesn't fit us, we deserve to build our own table. When we each stay true to our authentic inner voice and to ourselves, we are able to build a world where we all honor the authenticity within ourselves and within each other. I hope you had a chance to explore what holds true for you. What are things that make you uniquely you? This week, I want to take some time to discuss what it means to be healthy. What is true health? And how do we bring the discussion of health and wellness back into our everyday life, back into the world of medicine? Now, as many of you know, I am a surgeon and really most of my training was focused on diseases and what goes wrong and how to fix when something goes wrong. What are medications we can use? What are surgeries that would address certain diseases and illnesses? And as I started my practice and explored what that meant and how I could best help my patients, what I realized is that most of the discussion doesn't include anything about health or wellness. We doesn't really discuss what it means to be healthy. Instead, what we're talking about is how to manage and control certain diseases and what that involves. The World Health Organization's definition of health is a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being and not merely the absence of disease or infirmity. As I started teaching medical students what it means to be a physician, caring for our patients to the best of our abilities and bringing them to a state of health or as close to health as possible as there are certain conditions that we cannot completely reverse or change. So as I started having these types of discussion and, and really teaching in this element, what I realized is we don't really spend too much time talking about well-being. So I actually went back to school to get a degree in health and wellness because I wanted to understand for myself, what does it mean to be healthy? How do I encourage not just myself and my family and my extended community? 
community, but also how do I teach students? How do I teach my patients? How can I help anyone who's interested in the true state of wellness and health to achieve that? And it was a lot more complicated than I realized. And it was a lot more engaged and involving nutrition and fitness and spirituality. There were so many things that were included in this that I actually found it quite fascinating and interesting that some of these are really not even discussed in medical schools. And I hope that this changes as we continue the discussion that health and wellness is truly part of medical education because it's not just enough for us to figure out how to treat diseases and how to help our patients manage them, but also how do we really achieve that complete physical, mental, and social well-being, which is the definition of health. So today we are really just exploring that and talking about how do we bring health back to medicine and how do we start that by talking about health and healing for the healers themselves, as well as getting the information, as well as bringing personal growth and development as a spectrum of coaching to include coaching at an institutional level so that we're really able to make this accessible for as many people as possible. Now, I've talked about coaching as a tool before, and I do really believe that coaching is a tool that has changed not just my life, but hundreds and thousands of others who really used it as a tool to just make small changes in their life. And in a way, what this did was it created a domino effect. Now, in the world of habit building, we talk about this as a keystone habit is a key habit that you adopt. It could involve fitness. It could involve a morning ritual. It could involve meditation. And there's so many keystone habits that people adopt. And, and it is different for different individuals. But in the world of habit building and talking about keystone habits, what it is, we really want to make that one small change that will create a change in all the other areas of your life so that you're really truly transforming your life. Now, if you were to consider that, what would be a keystone habit for you? What do you think would make the biggest difference in your life? Could it be getting up 30 minutes early in the morning and having and building a and creating and implementing a morning ritual that would help you start your day in a positive and productive fashion? Could it be starting with a, with a short fitness routine that will change the way you view your day, that will build energy into your, into your life and really help you figure out where are you putting your time? Maybe it is counting your steps and trying to be more physically active during the day. So there are many ways to explore Keystone habits and I will be talking about Keystone habits and how to implement them in one of our future sessions. But I just wanted to start a conversation and just offer that as a way for you to start thinking. What is one small change that you can create in your life right now that will bring health back to your life, that will bring wellness back to your everyday routine? And that is how we use small changes into building big rewards and transformation in our own life. And this is the perfect discussion for my special guest today, bringing health back to medicine. So I can't wait to share more as we explore what it means to live in our healthiest life. And as we continue this journey of self-discovery and building tools to live our best life, I hope you'll tune in for future episodes as I look so forward to connecting with each and every one of you. I'm so excited to welcome my guest today, Dr. Amelia Beakey. Dr. Beakey is a specialist in neuromusculoskeletal medicine and osteopathic manipulative medicine, nurturing health and empowering patients to realize their amazing inherent capacity. She founded This Osteopathic Life, 
to expand the understanding and application of osteopathic philosophy beyond the clinical setting, as well as being the founder of Coaching for Institutions, as well as serving as chair of coaching for AMLA Ignite, focused on bringing health to medicine. Hi, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I would love to hear, I'm sure our listeners as well, how do you balance being a physician, being an entrepreneur, being a mom? There's a lot in our journeys that really shape how we bring all of these elements together, especially if there have been situations of burnout and overwhelm. Absolutely. And my whole life, I've always been interested in a wide variety of things. In this past year, there's this really great song, Never One Thing by May Earlywine, who's a local musician to where I live. And mm-hmm. it talks about that contrast and how we can bring all parts of ourselves forward. And that's really spoken to me. And in this past year, actually today, we are one day prior to the anniversary of me actually closing my clinic. So one element that's come up in this past year is I have paused on my clinical practice, meaning direct in-person patient care, but Mm -hmm. it's expanded in different ways. What's been really interesting is working with patients and actually shifting our relationship from a direct doctor-patient relationship to a coach and client relationship has actually offered an expansion of the ways in which I've been able to engage and support my patients who often present for pain complaints Mm -hmm. or debilitation, lack of functional capacity. And then also I've been able to broaden the way in which I teach the osteopathic concept. I'm working for a school in Maine. I'm in Michigan. And so it's really been, how do we get creative in the solutions to do what it is we've been called to do in a way that is sustainable, that does allow me to be home with my family Mm -hmm. more frequently. I have three children and my husband, and we actually got two puppies like many people in the course (laughs) of the pandemic and to learn, right? That it doesn't always have to look the one way that we thought it might look when we set out to be that in kindergarten, when we thought doctor or in high school or in college or in undergrad or whenever we made those shifts. Absolutely. I love that. Yes, we also got a pandemic pet. We got a a kitten, almost a cat now. Mm -hmm. So yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned that I felt like really resonated with me since it's something that I'm exploring is our life doesn't have to look like what we thought that it was going to. Maybe when when we were younger or we might have heard, okay, this is the path. This is how you go to school, you finish your residency, and this is how you practice. And after 30 or 40 years of practice, you retire and this is what you do. And like, it's just this prescribed way. And when we deviate from that, it feels like somehow it's a failure. But definitely, I think this year, more than any other time it has brought to us is that we can be creative, we can create the solutions that we want to see in our lives. And, and it's okay, if our life is different than what we thought about, and definitely what you know, me have been the the traditional route that we all just accepted, this is how it's going to be. So I think that's such a great way for us to think about as we pivot, because I think so many of us have had to do that pivot and just embracing it. And it's not a failure. It's really a, actually a great growth that we're a part of. So I love that. Absolutely. And for me, expanding the osteopathic concept has been a big passion of mine. And I love my patient care and I love seeing patients and being able to apply hands-on treatment for them. And I always knew I said, there's more to this, or right? there's another way that it's going to expand. And so it was right in the very unexpected closure of clinic that it started to show me the ways or forced me to begin to develop and see and investigate the ways that it could be be expanded in a new and a unique way. Absolutely. Yeah. And I love some of the, some of the workout routines and such that you've shared on social media. 
I think that's amazing. Tell me, how do you create the time to make that? Because I can see you do it every day. Mm -hmm. So how do you create that time and really nurture that, especially for someone like me who I feel like I snatch periods of fitness when I can, but I want to make it more of a priority and really build my own fitness and strength. So I would love to hear some perspective on that. Absolutely. And I have a long history with exercise and I actually found some of my old high school journals and I knew I was on sports teams and I was a runner Mm -hmm. and I knew I was consistent, but I didn't realize how maybe consistent and even obsessive some might say. Mm -hmm. I found one where I used to go to aerobics classes before school and then have practice after school. And I realized, oh, okay, this was really a key and core part of my life. And I think it has been a support mechanism, sometimes a coping mechanism, sometimes it can go to the extreme. And what I found is actually in having each of my children has helped me to titrate an appropriate dose, like minimum effective dose to say, okay, like I would spend all day in the gym and some parts of my life I could. I had the Mm -hmm. time when I was single and I didn't have certain responsibilities, Mm -hmm. but as I had my children and I wasn't attending physician, I thought, okay, I know this is key and core to what I want to do. How can I make this happen in a reasonable time frame? And so I started finding different programs where I could say, okay, an hour or shorter, I can get into the gym, do the workout, shower and get home, find those ways. And then for me, it's so it's been a non-negotiable. It's almost a guarantee. No matter what time of day, I will find a way to fit in a workout. And what I found is I can leverage that to my advantage and say, if I really have something important to do, I'll put it in place in my workout because I know I'll do the workout, but I'll give that time to the task. But the part that's really been interesting for me, I tore an abdominal muscle a couple of years ago, lifting a suitcase of all things for all the workout activities I've done. It was just a perfect storm of poor biomechanics and being tired. And I wasn't allowed to do anything, literally not walk a block for two months. And then the recovery process began and the prognosis was five years back to normal. And that was a pretty devastating prescription for treatment. And I've always prided myself on adapting workouts for any of my athletes who have been injured. I said, oh, I can always find something for you to do, except if you tear an abdominal muscle, because then you have to do nothing. (laughs) That's your core. Even just breathing was painful. So I wore a binder. I was still allowed to see patients, which is probably still pushing the envelope some. What I realized in that time was how easy it was for that to no longer be a necessary and natural part of the day. And so I had perspective and it really wasn't until then that I could even relate to, what do you mean you wouldn't fit this in? It was just, for me, it was so necessary. Mm -hmm. And then I began to realize, okay, now I have to recommit to myself and also all that minimum effective dose to be really small because it had Mm -hmm. to be, right? So five minutes of walking and then maybe 30 seconds of running and five minutes of walking. And I've done multiple marathons in my life. And so Mm -hmm. really reframing what counted as enough Mm -hmm. has been really key for that. And especially now I've owned a gym in the past and taught workouts and really helping people both, right? Push their margin, but also scale it back and Mm -hmm. give themselves grace for what is enough in that Mm -hmm. moment. So that's been really helpful for me in these last few years. And I still have that that dialogue and I say no for Mm -hmm. today. I I love the thought of minimal effectiveness. I've actually been exploring a little bit on where is that inflection point in our life? We know that it takes time to build a skill, but where does it go from this sort of like struggle and you're learning and you're making mistakes and you're falling and all that. And then you get to this place where you're like, wow, that just felt really good. And it just really happened. The flow state. I've been really exploring that. So I have another perspective to add to that. Just where Mm -hmm. is that minimal effectiveness that you want to build? And I do agree, like consistency in whatever format that we can add to is so critical. It really gives a way for us to build on something. Because even if we do something like five minutes consistently, right, the, Mm -hmm. the way it can build is just phenomenal. So I love that. I would love to talk a little bit about there's so many, especially now, I feel there's so many challenges that we come across in deciding, okay, is this going to work? Where am I going next? I was listening to someone chat about how before you picked a career and you stayed with that career forever and you retired from it. But now there's a lot of 
flux and people are mm-hmm. trying different things and a little bit of that connection to what is valuable and how do you bring value. So I'd love to talk a little bit about that space of value and how we're all exploring that and mm-hmm. being our most authentic best self, essentially. Absolutely. And I think there too, allowing for multiple definitions. And I always had that thought too, you stay in a job for a really long time and you get tenure or you get your pension. And those were the, the markers of value. Mm-hmm. And there's certainly merit in that. Mm-hmm. And I remember that my first job, I was like, let me stay for this long so I could get vested. And that can be super helpful for planning, but not the only way, right? To say mm-hmm. that's an option. And I realized that was also part of what was halting my creativity because I was staying in this path and I was doing as much as I could to be creative within that system. And there are certainly opportunities to see what you can mm-hmm. do within, but recognizing like what brings my passion forward? What are my true skills? And can I manifest them and express them here? And sometimes the answer is yes, you can get creative. And sometimes you hit a ceiling, right? And you say, that's as much as I can get in here. That's as far outside the lines as I can paint. And that's okay. And that doesn't have it to be any fault with the system, but it might mean a mismatch in giving yourself the space to depart. And that was hard because I thought, you know, tenure, stay here, build this thing, legacy, all of those components. And I really needed some space and some freedom to explore creativity in a new way. And that meant going to a solo private practice, so flipping the coin entirely and answering it all. And then finding out that really wasn't the space either. (laughs) And so knowing I had the capacity to decide how I felt about where I was a really big learning curve. And as I sat back with that, I thought, could I have stayed then where I was knowing this mindset? And the answer is probably, I probably could have found satisfaction in that situation. And I chose right to explore and I keep choosing to explore and that's okay. And I think what has been a big lesson for me is to give grace to everybody who's doing that, right? To say for those who are in a space and they choose to stay indefinitely, fantastic. I hope that's working for you. And for those who change a lot really frequently, that's okay too. Because I realized I had a lot of judgment for those who weren't staying. Why not? Can't you stay? Can't you figure it out? For those who were staying, shouldn't you explore more? So just noticing all that and instead saying, Mm -hmm. maybe there's a lot of right ways that can work for each person to be in their space of value. Yeah, so true. And I think that when we create that space of self-compassion and non-judgment, even for ourselves, it's Mm -hmm. then we apply to everyone around us. What you said really resonated in just understanding that I had so much self-criticism and oh, why am I doing it this way? Why am I doing it that way? Instead of just realizing that none of us knows the answer. We don't know what's going to happen. Of course, nobody could have predicted this pandemic, but even beyond Mm -hmm. that, we all want to stay and create something right where we are. Sometimes it requires that stepping back and and taking a deep breath and just saying, okay, where am I? What do I need? I, there was that period of time between really feeling burnt out and quitting my job that I really struggled just even understanding, okay, how do I take a breath and just be able to think? And you know what? I I actually came to the point of understanding I'm never going to be able to do that in that space because I am so in that hamster wheel running, like just trying to keep up that there is no way that I can get that feeling of perspective where I am. And, And that's just my experience. Now, there are others who, like you said, some people can do that and not making it mean anything terrible about myself and saying, this is just who I am. This is what I need. And I need to step back and take a breath and see where I am before I can figure out where I want to go next. And it it really was one of those things where I I had a terrible weekend on call, just some conversations at home. And I went on Monday morning and handed in my resignation letter without even knowing what I was going to do next. But I just knew that I had come to the end of the road there and I just couldn't go any further. And this is just, I I don't know what was beyond the, the wall, but I just needed to take the leap. Most people I think would find an alternative before they jump. But so just knowing that we we all have our journey and there is no one right way, but just to accept that and that we bring 
value really just by being ourselves in that moment. And we don't have to do anything. This is exactly the space that we need to be in. Because I think that struggle for worthiness and struggle for being connected to that moment is huge. So as even in my case, I grew up in Southeast Asia and I came to US when I was 19. And I didn't actually speak English until my teens. Even though I spoke English fluently, actually, when I came to the US, it was still, I did not understand the culture. When I would say certain things, I think people really thought that was weird because I wasn't using the words. It's not just about knowing the language. It's about just really communicating. And so I struggle with feeling worthy for a long time. Even after I was done with my residency, I just felt, oh, I didn't belong. I had to be a certain way or do a certain thing to, to feel like I belonged at the table. And it was really not until I said, okay, what if this is just who I am? Like, what if I didn't learn any other additional cultural value or whatever? But what if this is just who I am? And I'm just who I am because I'm not the only immigrant to the country or someone really struggling with that. So the imposterism is real. But what if we just took that one layer away and just said, okay, I'm not perfect, but this is who I am. Where do I find my place of belonging instead of trying to belong in a place that maybe I just don't. I love that so much. And I resonate with a lot of that. And I really think I didn't realize that I was feeling unworthy until recently and saw how that mm-hmm. after effects was really playing out. And that so many of us may not recognize that mm-hmm. what unworthiness looks like. And it is right that attempts to fit in and to adapt and to accommodate always. And it's okay, okay to make those cultural adjustments and mm-hmm. take input, but also looking for that right to qualify us as 100% worthy in a situation is exhausting and impossible. Mm-hmm. And to recall our own experience, and hold space for others in that. I remember it was a Facebook thread of the person known for a long time and they commented on something because again, on the surface, I was highly effective and I had achievements Mm -hmm. and no one would have thought, why would you ever feel unworthy? Mm -hmm. But oftentimes because we've attributed to a lot of external things. Mm -hmm. I was known as the smart person and it was these grades that made you worthy or this, you ran this fast Mm -hmm. or whatever it was. And that begins to make you think, where's me in there? Which of those Mm -hmm. things are just these things that I'm doing and what's me and what counts in that space? And to really say, oh, like I'm worthy without all of those things. And I can go for them. I can train and I can study and whatever it is, but they're separate, right? They are additional to my own worthiness. And that's been a really big realization and pretty recent to come into mm-hmm. that space. Yeah, I know. I, I actually think, oh my goodness, I don't even know what I was thinking in my twenties because there's so much that deep understanding and appreciation of just being who we are, I think is totally different. There is some excitement and newness when you are exploring things in your twenties, but I think over time you really do connect to the imperfections in the moment rather than trying to figure out, oh, how do I make that even more perfect in that moment, if you will? Because it's almost the imperfectness, imperfections really that makes that moment so amazing. Mm -hmm. I love the work of Brené Brown. She talks a lot about worthiness Mm -hmm. and love and belonging. And one of the things that she said that honestly changed the way I thought about things is just that we as humans are always trying to build that love connection and feeling of belonging. That's what we want. When we are looking for this, whether it's external or internal worthiness, when we're exploring that or when we're doing different things in life, that we're finding these moments of connection. And there's a thought that there's a box, there's a framework, and you have to fit within that. And I I do think that thought is changing. I've heard from so many where they are exploring their own unique nature and character and finding their own space. And I think just to even amplify that is is really the more I've experienced my life and talked to others, that's the space I think that we want to explore more is finding that love and belonging and connection to ourselves Mm -hmm. and building that because regardless of how 
however the external circumstances changes, if we build it within ourselves and we have a place of belonging that is secure within ourselves, then none of these external like ties or threads that are pulling at us really has as much impact. Absolutely. And I hear in there too, do you love me for who I am or for what I do? And being able to say that to ourselves, I love you for who you are and I can appreciate what you do and have those both. I love that. And yes, all to the Brene Brown work. Yeah. Now, when you think about the last year, I've heard a little bit about some of the changes that have come about and the really exploring creatively where things fit. Um, just wondering, is there any mindset shift or perspective change that you've had just even personally, the things that you might've maybe not noticed as much before? Or what is, what are some of the things that the way you've changed, the, the way you've been thinking have changed in the last mm-hmm. year? Yes. I think in my family in particular, thinking that it should be any way other than what it is. So I have three children. I have a husband. We have the puppies. We live a little bit of a precedented unorthodox life. We were moving between Michigan and Oregon. We have narrowed that now somewhat because of the pandemic and travel mm-hmm. purposes, but it can be loud and it can be chaotic in our house. And I had this aversion to yelling, to chaos. And I mm-hmm. think it made a lot of angst. And I've had the experience through coaching to learn that what if, how it is, is just how it is meant to be. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that I want everyone to yell a lot or that I really promote <laughs> chaos, but it's made it so much easier to live within what is. And actually, right, as a natural consequence, the yelling chaos actually is less. You might think, mm-hmm. do I just notice it less? But when I'm not fighting against it and I'm not frustrated by it all the time, it actually happens less because I do contribute to it less myself because mm-hmm. I'm not feeding into it. So that's been a huge shift personally and professionally. It has been knowing that there are lots of ways to practice medicine and there are lots of ways to contribute to health that might not fit that typical pattern of how we, as we said, expected it to be. And interestingly, also that I have the opportunity to create kind of invitations to others. So I had this osteopathic life for years and I had a website and I had programs listed, but I realized it never had the contact information. You never had dates <laughs> and never had a price or a sign up. So I had mm-hmm. a lot of suggestions. And what I've also learned is you have to put some form to it. And that's an osteopathic mm-hmm. tenor structure for function. And so that I need to put, make a statement, put a stance down, even if it gets no response, you get feedback, right? Oh, that wasn't the right way to do it. So I think getting more direct has also been a shift in my thinking this year. Like it's something to have an idea, but if you really want that idea to take traction, mm-hmm. you have to put more form to it and not be afraid to draw those lines, knowing you can shift them, but put them down, listen for feedback and then report. So that's been a big shift for me as well. Yeah. And also, I think a lot of the work within Coaching for Institutions have really grown in the last year. If you could share a little bit more about that, I've been part of your program and it's been so inspiring for me, honestly, to be one of the coaches in the program and just see the impact this has on our trainees and how I, I feel like it would have changed so much for me when I was a medical student mm-hmm. resident. And I think this work is hugely important and life-changing for the face of medicine, for just the mm-hmm. health of medicine. So I'd love to hear for you to share a little bit about your program. Yeah. And coaching institutions was born out of a simple conversation on Facebook, this statement of, we really need coaching in our hospitals. I said, I know. And I'd been in my corner again, writing up programs, mm-hmm. but not putting them out there into the world. I said, me too. And I'm working on this. Let's meet. And then 10 people showed up. Okay. And then we just kept meeting weekly and then the numbers would grow. And then we started to put the structure to it. And I think there was also building the plane as we were flying it, just saying, we know we want this. We're not sure what it looks like. We're going to keep showing up and test piloting things. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned you Amway Ignite. So that's a national program. And we had the opportunity there to really put down some structure and get really good feedback. And what I love about it 
is, it's just an open collective. When we look at the CFI, so we talk about cross-pollination so that we can work across institutes of medicine, because that's one thing I think is a hangup is we do keep siloed, right? We're saying this is what we're doing and there's not a lot of room. So to be able to work together and collaborate is so helpful to facilitate. And so I do love organization and administration and creating curriculum. And some people need really extensive support. Some just want you know, a little bit, some just need that encouragement. And so finding the way, what is it? What's in the way? What's the barrier to this mm-hmm. happening? And how can we remove that from the place? And then the, I'm pretty sure is integration. We switched it a few <laughs> times, but looking at that too, how can we just make this a natural part of the practice of medicine to bring coaching forward? And I think today, especially this is the day, right? Students are finding out where they have matched or if they have mm-hmm. matched into postgraduate training, which is a huge day. And I've had the good advantage of working with some students in this time to just be able to say, right, it's all going to be okay. And this does, it is a landmark decision. It's a momentous moment, but at the same time, it's not everything. And mm-hmm. it really doesn't mean anything about you as a person, which is hard to separate. But to have that space, I think about the match and I didn't apply to a super highly extensive stress program. I was pretty sure where I was going, but mm-hmm. see my classmates really struggle with that and to know we could have alleviated some of that suffering in that space. Yeah. is so encouraging. So I love getting to meet with physicians from all over the country, all specialties, and to hear from one another and to know we have this tangible tool to take mm-hmm. into the spaces of education, training, and practice has been so great. Yeah, absolutely. And and from students, one of the main things that I've heard is just, it gives them a, a perspective change in the middle of, you got to do this and you got to do that. And you're behind, you're not doing this. And all of these things that pop up, it's a way for them to take a deep breath and really pause and reflect, okay, I'm exactly where I need to be. What are my thoughts? What's holding me back? What do I need to do? And being, taking more ownership and control of their own thoughts and moving ahead, as opposed to letting all of these external thoughts and things feel, feeling like that's what's really pushing them through instead of feeling empowered that they have complete choice of what they choose to think and how they can move forward. So I think that was really powerful. And as we hear more and more about the mental health challenges that have been really a struggle through, especially through the pandemic about physician suicides, and these are tough topics to talk about and to think about. But the reality is that we were already struggling as a system before. Mm-hmm. Physician suicide rate has is the highest in all professions, and we already had struggles, and the pandemic has only added to this. I think mental health is, is important, and of course, there's a, a role for mental health therapists, etc. There's no way coaching can replace that. But I do see that there's a co- combination of ways that we can help relieve some of the suffering and relieve some of the feeling of hopeless, burnout, et cetera, that, that we're facing right now in medicine. Absolutely. And the key part that comes up a lot in these situations with coaching, when there is a concern with the institution, let's say, is that we have coaching and it's saying the individual just needs to change and then everything's fine. And it's a both and situation. So we can change. Like I said, I could probably now realize with these tools, I could have stayed where I was and actually been pretty satisfied, happy in that situation. And I may have advocated for change differently in that space. So reminding those that with coaching, because we do communicate, we get clear about our immutable worthiness, that we actually become more effective advocates because we're not advocating for change so we feel better. We're advocating for change when we feel better so that, right, the system functions better Mm -hmm. for all, for patients, hopefully, ultimately, that's still our bottom line, and for those who are providing care for the patients. So that's Mm -hmm. been a really encouraging part for me and an important reminder for those who say, what if we want all this to change? Yes, absolutely. I did an osteopathic health policy fellowship. I'm all for making huge systems change from that place Mm -hmm. of worthiness. The impact is so much greater. Oh, 
absolutely. That is so true because when we come from a place of empowerment and worthiness, the decisions that we make, the energy we put out, the connections, the willingness to even work through some of the challenges are so different than when we come from a place of feeling hopeless or powerless, feeling like a victim, feeling like we have no say in what's going on. I think there's a lot more that internal fighting, internal chaos, as well as arguments and a place where we're not really seen and working together. So I think that's so important. I've been hearing these types of conversations from various sources. And as we continue to build on that, I hope that it really does create that change in within the health system instead of just individuals trying to create small measures. That is also important, but I think we need to see these overall health system types changes to see the culture change. Absolutely. Yes. And that's been a place for me doing the health policy fellowship was really enlightening just to see where the room is, but also how slow some things can move. So making sure we're speaking to that and saying absolutely yes for system shifts in knowing the rate of change is probably not going to be satisfactory or fast enough for what we're looking for. And so here's what we can do in the meantime to care for ourselves as we're working toward that. Yeah. Layers of wellness. I love that. So if you could go back in time and you could give your younger self any piece of advice, what would that be? That's such a great question. I think love what you're doing while you're doing it and let it be what it is. I've definitely had this turnaround, you know, rear view mirror moment of, Ooh, that I should have done more of that. Or if only Mm -hmm. I'm a musician and I played cello really extensively for a good 13 years and then Mm -hmm. took a bit of a hiatus. And I often think if I'd only just played, but I've learned, especially this year to say, I love that I had the opportunity to play in that time. And I see Mm -hmm. how much of a lifeline it was for me. And as music shows up again, I can love it in whatever way it does. Because also if you played for 13 years solid, didn't Mm -hmm. for seven and pick it back up, you play like you did in the beginning. (laughs) And to just say, I love that I can play in any capacity. It's a practice with my kids now. So I think that's what I would say. Love it while you're doing it for however long and for however extensively and right. Love the mm-hmm. next thing in the next moment. I love that. That's a great way to, to, to phrase it and to reframe it. So thank you for sharing. What are some projects or programs that, that are coming up for you? would love to know a little bit more about what you're working on right now. Absolutely. Well, coaching institutions is ongoing. We meet weekly and that is physicians trained as coaches. So we have institutional programs at the attending level, at the resident level with medical associations and with students. So I hope to continue expanding that, some communication with ACGME to see if we can become part of kind of routine access, at least. Mm-hmm. For Amway Ignite, that's the student arm, and that's the American Medical Women's Association. And we have coaching groups for students, and that's been a really fantastic space. And you've been such a great component and coach in that program. And then for this osteopathic life, I run a 12-week CME course. It was quarterly. I've learned to give myself a little bit of space between. So I'm looking to run it three times a year. So the next one will be in early April. And that's open to all physicians, MD and DO. We run through a curriculum. We do group and one-on-one coaching. And we just look at how can we support our own health. It's really designed to be the antidote and treatment for physician burnout, but also exploration of big ideas and just embracing health on our terms. So those are the main projects. In the meantime, I'm going to coach some elementary track with my kids and help them get back into some spring activity. We embraced the winter season, which was quite short here in (laughs) Northwest Michigan. And I will. I'll play a little bit of music here and there and keep going with those daily workouts. Love it. And you bring so much energy to all of this. So I can't wait to hear more and see more of it. If any of our listeners wanted to get in touch with you, what would be a good place for them to find your information? Yeah, it's the most consistent is this osteopathic life. There's .com at Gmail. That is my Instagram, which I'm learning to use a little more frequently <laughs> and the Facebook page as well. And then coachingforinstitutions.com. If you were interested in bringing coaching to your institution of medicine, you can find me there also. Okay, awesome. And I will definitely include that information 
information in the show notes as well. So everyone will have a chance to connect with you and get to know you more. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the time that you've spent with us today and all the wisdom that you've shared and really just changing the culture of medicine and bringing health to medicine, bringing health and healing to healers. It's such an important thing. So I'm so grateful to have you here to share that. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. This is such a great conversation. For my listeners, if there are any topics that you want to hear more, please drop a comment below. I would be happy to add those to our weekly content. For all those listening, thank you for joining us today. If you found this valuable, please like, subscribe, leave a review on iTunes, and share it with a friend or two. I would so appreciate that. I would love to hear from you. If you have a story to share about burnout or overwhelm, please reach out to me so we can continue to build this community so no one has to go through burnout and overwhelm alone. You can reach out to me at my website, serenitywellnessmd.com or Mindfulness and Productivity Systems Facebook page or at Serenity Wellness MD on Instagram. The content of this podcast is not meant to be medical advice. Tune in for the next episode coming to you every Thursday morning. Goodbye for now.